Um, I think we have this kind of strange culture around our career plans and career progression sort of concepts um, that are always pushing this, this idea that success is by reaching the top uh, of an organization. Um, and I think that that's something that we really need to challenge as a concept. Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. So if you're a long-time listener of the show, you might recognise that delightful Australian accent that you just heard. It was Denise McKenzie. She's been on the show before and she is the community and ethics partner at Place. But before she got there, she had an incredible career in geospatial. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about mentorship. We're going to be talking about leadership and hopefully offering some career advice and career encouragement for people that are still trying to find their way in geospatial. Welcome back to the podcast, Denise. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you here again, and, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So you, you, you've had this really sort of broad career in, in geospatial, and, and that's what I'd like to focus on today. Before we dive into that, for the sake of context, would you mind letting the listeners know who you are and, and how you got involved in, in geospatial? Yeah, sure. And it's um, thanks for the invitation for, for coming back, Daniel. It's always nice to be on the podcast. So for those that, that don't know me, um, I'm Denise McKenzie. Uh, I, I guess I really fell into geospatial about 25 years ago after having done a, an undergrad in international politics and public policy. Um, and it was really through a quite amazing individual called Bruce Thompson down in the Victorian government who I spent, took, took a good 45 minutes to, to wow me so to speak, with the power and the capabilities of, of geospatial and using maps for good in the world. Uh, so I stayed working there doing innovation and policy work for about 12 years, really focused on that nexus between public and private inter, uh, partnerships and what can be achieved there. From there, I moved to OGC, so the Open Geospatial Consortium, um, international standards body, and worked as the head of outreach and communication there for about six and a half years. Following that, became a consultant, uh, worked with Ordnance Survey and the Emitted Network for about two years through what's called the Benchmark Initiative. And that was really looking at the ethical use of geospatial and location data uh, throughout the world. That resulted in me becoming one of the co-authors of a thing called the Locus Charter. So it's a 10 principle charter looking at how we ethically and responsibly use location data. Uh, and after all that, recently I joined a new uh, not-for-profit organization called PLACE. Uh, and there I'm their community and ethics partner. So looking at how we, we build out a new global membership organization that's really focused on ethical and responsible use of data and, and also focused on data for good, um, particularly in our developing nations. Wow. So yeah, you've had this really sort of broad career so far, and I'm sure there's a lot more to come. Um, I, I would like to move off in just a second and, and talk about mentorship. I, I believe you mentioned someone called Bruce earlier on, and, and I know he was pivotal in your career. So I, I'd, I'd like to touch on that. But, but first, I'm really curious to know, do, do you consider yourself to be a technical person? Probably less technical these days, although people constantly remind me whenever I say that, that, you know, I, I can usually engage quite well in a lot of technical discussions. Um, certainly back in, in that early career in government, definitely I, I was in the world of, of GIS and, and creation of maps. Um, I'd say probably these days I'm more technical from the perspective of that architecture and, and strategy and really looking at how new innovations and technology fit into our existing stack of 
of geospatial tools. So that's probably the level really more than a kind of day-to-day map-making practitioner. Although to be fair, I did a master's in sustainability last year and went back and actually did a module in, in doing GIS. So I've been back into Arc Pro in the last uh, 12 to 18 months and that was quite fun to, to go back and, and make some maps. Do you think you could be in that uh, position to be, to be in architecture, to be looking at different infrastructures and how they can fit together without, like on the cutting room for knowledge of, of GIS and, and geospatial? Um, I think you can be in that you can kind of come at it from different angles um, of, of the data world. I think you have to have some level of grounding and understanding how data works. Um, but I know that sort of the knowledge that I've got and certainly one of the amazing things about that first role I had in government back in Australia was that I was in a policy team, but I was in a policy team um, that sat next to people that were making maps on a day-to-day basis. Um, so we weren't sort of sitting, you know, in our own little world, if you like, doing policy. We sat with people who were day-to-day building, collecting data, working with users, etc. And I know that a lot of my technical knowledge comes out of watching that day-to-day experience and those day-to-day challenges of data collection, of not getting the data you want, of having to clean it, you know, and having to try and work out how to share it as well. So yeah, I guess the, the, the level of knowledge I've got is definitely a learned on the job level of knowledge more than I guess it was ever done in, a, um, in an academic context. So the, the reason I'm asking you the questions is because I really want to highlight for listeners that it is possible to have an extremely successful career in the space without being a, a deep, deep, deep technical person, without being a programmer and machine learning specialist. And it, it is possible to, to create a future for yourself. So I really appreciate you sort of walking us through that. I want to get back to the, the earlier stages of your career because you are involved in a mentorship program. I believe it's through the women in, in, in geospatial community, but you yourself had a mentor when, when you started out earlier on in your career, a, a person called Bruce Thompson. Would you mind telling us why this person was a great mentor? What, what did they do? Um, so, I mean, to be fair, I've had a lot of great mentors across my career and it's one of the things that I would say is so important to anybody, not not so much about progression, but I think about how you develop your understanding of what you want out of your career uh, and what you you want to do. Um, Bruce in particular, so he was he was my first boss. Uh, he was the guy that, that really brought me into the world of geospatial. But I guess outside of that element of Bruce, as a leader, he was really one of these people who quite intrinsically understood the value of diversity in teams. Um, you know, he was a real leadership style where he was about supporting uh, the, the nurturing of the teams, the nurturing of his staff um, and and helping, I guess, them to, to understand and foster collaboration and the sort of value of, of a collaboration brings in that. Um, so he, he was always really great, I think, as a mentor because he was looking really to use his position of leadership uh, as a mechanism to 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 encourage people to to be the best they possibly can be um he'd, he'd be the advocate he'd he'd always have your back in there and i think for me as a mentor i got to watch a, a leader that ultimately i think has completely influenced the way i operate uh, as a leader in the world so all of my aspects of working with teams of working with partners um you know building memberships around the world was incredibly heavily influenced by this guy. You know, I probably characterize him a bit as as what I would call a, a a servant leader. You know, he really looked for 
what what could he do for all of these people that he was responsible for how could he make them shine how could he give them opportunities to to improve and to develop i guess skill and interest areas that that are relevant and best for them in what they're doing so it's a quite amazing human quite sadly we lost him lost him to to cancer uh late last year which was quite quite a shocking thing for the Australian uh, geospatial community. I know he's greatly missed because as as well as being a brilliant mentor, he was an incredible visionary, I think, for for where geospatial can be used. You know, to, to go back to your comment about the career in geospatial, he actually started out in the world of architecture and was an architect before he came into the geospatial realm uh, and became a leader in that. So I think you're, you're very right in saying that you can absolutely have high and va- highly valuable careers in geospatial from a huge, vast different array of areas. I think one of the first comments you made about uh, Bruce was this, his ability or, or passion for building diverse teams. And what does diversity mean for you when you think about building a team? I think for me with diversity, the way I always imagine it is that what you're trying to do is build a team that that somehow tries to capture the broad range of diversity that there is in the world. You know, the, the global population is amazingly diverse and different and comes from a whole variety of different perspectives. Um, and part of it is is about trying to address that ethical and responsible use. I kind of think that if you build a team with a very, very similar set of people from very similar background, well, you're only ever going to build a solution that, that has the experience, very, very similar experiences from those people. If you build a team though, that's hugely diverse in age, um, cultural background, perhaps religious backgrounds, interest and skill areas. What you're going to get in your solution is people bringing a huge swath of different experiences. It might be that they've got a background working with deaf people or blind people or vulnerable populations, people with all manner of different life experiences. And consistently over my career, what I've seen is where you have diverse teams, you get far better solutions that meet a far greater realm of, of the population and what they need. I think it's one thing to be diverse in terms of gender or ethnicity or, or beliefs. It's a whole nother thing to let that diversity shine out, to be brave enough to, to, to be yourself, I guess is what I'm saying. So, so now that you're working as a mentor, how, how do you do that for people? How do you encourage them to, to accept that that diversity is a feature and, and not a bug? Because I think the tendency is to want to fit in and to be the same as everyone else. I think, you know, and hopefully my, my various mentees would, would echo this. One of the things that I always say is that every single person in the world is unique. You know, you bring your own background, values, experiences to the table. Um, and I guess what I would say is that if I look at how successful my career it's be, has been, it's been because I've recognized the things about me that are different. And rather than feeling like that difference is a negative thing, I've said, well, actually, that, that's what makes me special. That's what makes me different. And so when I'm talking to my mentees, what I try and encourage them is to say with confidence, you know, have the confidence to understand that you are special just because you are you, you know, with your life experiences and with your people that you know and your network. Um, And I said, and because you're unique, you are valuable, you know, and what you've got to contribute is going to be valuable too, whether that's because you're from a different generation, whether it's because of the country background that you've got, you know, it will always be valuable to the teams that you're working with. So it's an element of, I think, understanding your self-worth, you know, trying to to quieten that that imposter syndrome comp- um, component that sometimes rattles around in your head. Um, when you sort of look around the room, and you think, well, I don't look or 
I don't look like these people or I don't talk like these people. Um, but instead of seeing that as a negative and thinking that you don't fit in, you know, one of the things I encourage is to say, see that as a positive, you know, look at that as your unique value proposition and say, well, what can I do with that? How can I share that, that uniqueness that I've got? Have, have you always found it easy to be comfortable with that, to be comfortable with, with, with being different? No, not at all. <laughs> it's always quite funny, actually, because people see me now and, and see my, my daughter, for example, who's a highly, highly social human um, and, and make that comment of, you know, apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But the truth is, actually, as a, as a teen and as a kid, I was absolutely the one that, that hid in a corner um, and, and didn't want to socialise because I didn't feel like I fit in. Um, I'd say that that has been a learned art uh, and it, it has definitely been one that has... I was, I've been able to overcome because of the mentors and support people I've had around me. So I, I do count myself incredibly lucky to have worked with people like Bruce Thompson. Um, there was another manager there, Elizabeth Thomas, who I worked with for most of those 12 years as well. Um, and they were just so good, I think, at amplifying people's uniqueness. Um, and, and so I, I guess over that decade really had that opportunity to see, to A, be supported myself to, to get that confidence and to be pushed into situations like public speaking, which used to make me feel physically ill before I did it. You know, now I do it without even thinking. So I, I do know that you can learn that. Uh, and I do know that you can learn that confidence in there. Um, but I think I, you know, I do count myself lucky to have had the amazing people around me that have been encouraging. And so I guess as a mentor myself, is almost like feeling like you're you're paying it forward, if that makes sense. You know, I've had this great experience and had these great people supporting me. Therefore, I feel, I guess, a bit of a responsibility to make sure that I, I try and offer that to others as well. Makes complete sense, the idea of paying it forward. Um, public speaking, how do you do that? Like, there's a lot of people, I think, that would really love to have a voice, but they're terrified, right? They're, they are afraid. Maybe they don't know what they what they like to talk about. Maybe they've never tried it before. Maybe they're afraid that they're not enough. Um, maybe they're just afraid of, of being seen. Um, it, what can we do to, to get better at this? How did I learn that? So uh, honestly, by having people like Bruce say to me, you're going to go and do this. And I'd go, I'm going to go and do what? <laughs> and, and instead of really fighting it, going, okay, okay, well, well you know, actually I am going to go and try this. Um, one of the things about public speaking that I would say is it is absolutely, it's like riding a bike. You know, it's frightening when you start doing it, you know, and you feel all wobbly and you, you feel like you're going to fall down um, and you probably will a couple of times. And I think you just have to recognize that that's part and parcel with, with doing that. You know, you'll make mistakes, you'll walk off stage, you'll go, why did I say that that way? <laughs> um, and that's just part of it. What I would say, though, is that it is like riding a bike in that it does get easier the more you do it. So the more you practice, the more you will read faces in the audience and see how people respond to the way you talk about things. Um, really, what I would say is it's so valuable to watch how others speak that you enjoy, you know, so spend time on things like TED Talks, if you like that style, um, spend time really looking next time you watch someone give a public spe uh, speech, make a note to yourself of what you what, what you liked and what you also thought they didn't do well, um, because it's just as important to work out what doesn't work as it is what does work. Um, I think also with that too, to remember that public speaking is something humanity has done since we were able to speak. You know, we are a storytelling 
community. And so perhaps think of it instead of I'm getting up on stage with my PowerPoint to, you know, deliver a presentation, think, you know, sit back and actually go, well, actually, what I'm really doing is getting up to tell a story, you know, and if you think about most stories, they've got a beginning, a middle, an end and a moral or something that you're trying to get across as a point um, within that. If you think about your presentation more like that, you're far more likely to be comfortable and conversational with your audience and potentially a lot more engaging with what you're doing. It can also seem like a whole lot less scary if you think about it more like you're telling a story than you're giving a presentation would be sort of, I guess, my my top tips. Do you think public speaking has had any sort of major impact on your career? I guess in the career, the type of career that I have, absolutely. Um, I think in these days, you know, there is a particularly working at that international scale, you know, you've got a globe to try and talk with. Uh, and so because of the technology we've got, so many of the presentations these days are recorded uh, and so much more accessible to people around the world. So I think for, uh, you know, your individual brand, so to speak, public speaking has a huge impact on, on people knowing who you are, uh, what you're capable of. Uh, and and sort of I guess how to how to connect with you as well as a person. Um, I think it's if you're an expert in a field too. I also think that public speaking gives people a way to to see you as a person. Um, and so there's an an element I think at a role it plays in helping to build trust uh, in leaders that are around the world. You know, people will really look at how someone delivers a presentation. You know, but you think having a conversation with someone, how someone speaks to you. Is an, is an element and a way of creating trust um, between you, you know, how much you trust that person by, based on what they're saying. First of all, let me say, I, I completely agree with, with everything you said. It's a very, it puts you on a hook in, in a different way. It's different from writing a blog. You are on display. You as a person are standing in front of other people and saying, here I am, this is what I think, and trying to communicate a message to them. And I think you're on the hook in, in a completely different way than you are when you write an article or when you post on social media. It's it's more intense, but I think because of that, I think the rewards are, are much greater as well. There's a lot of great things that come with public speaking, with, with having a voice, with, with you know showing this kind of leadership. But I think too, there's a lot of responsibilities that, that come with this as well. I, I have a few ideas about responsibilities that, that come with leadership, but I'd really like to hear what you think about that. I think you're right. I would agree with that completely. I think there's, you know, that public speaking is about having a voice. Leadership is about having a voice too, uh, you know, and there's an awful lot of different styles of leadership. Um, I think for me, responsibilities wise, um, my style is probably more a bit, I, I think of that of Bruce. I, you know, I know that I'm only as good a leader as the team with which I'm working or the group or the community or what have you that I'm trying to speak on behalf of. And, uh, and I know responsibility wise, when it comes to geospatial now, um, that I often walk into situations, whether it's the UN or the World Bank or, you know, World Economic Forum or somewhere like this. And actually what my responsibility is there is to be not just a representative for my organization, but actually I'm there responsibly as a representative of our whole geospatial profession. And so what I say in that and how I represent that is, you know, quite, um, you know, can be quite scary, uh, but it is quite big responsibility, I think, uh, for people who have a lot of those leadership roles to, to realize that you represent more than yourself. You know, it might be just you that's in that room, but often you're representing a much bigger group of people uh, that are outside, whether that's um, the work that they're doing, whether that's the belief system that they have, uh, or the culture and background that they've got there too. So I think there's a great level of responsibility for you as a leader. 
I think also for me that leaders really have a great responsibility to not just represent that group of people well, but to also look at how they help them grow. You know, you're in this leadership role of power, which means actually you have more avenues, um, more opportunities at your fingertips, so to speak, than a lot of people that are working um, in different roles within the organization you're leading. And so I think that you have a responsibility to sort of then look at the, that diverse group of people you're representing and say, well, how do I, how do I take this power and opportunity that I've got and help share that to the, to the broader audience? Cause that's probably going to be good for me as a leader. Um, but it's also probably going to be really good for our organization. If my staff and, and the staff within our organization are being the best they possibly can be. Yeah. I think you managed to summarize a lot of my thoughts around this amazingly well. Thank you very much for that. But it also sounds like you've been really fortunate. So you've had this amazing leader, this amazing mentor really early on in your career. For those of us that haven't had that experience, that don't know what good leadership looks like, help us understand if, if we're stuck in bad leadership. What, what does bad leadership look like? I think bad leadership is probably when you've walked out of a meeting with your you know, manager or boss or what have you, and what you're doing in your head is, is feeling like you're, you're not worthy um, feeling like you're you're not able to do your job, um, that you're always getting things wrong, um, and I guess feeling like you're not being supported. Uh, so you know, if, if really you're coming home at the end of the day, and your your position and your role in your organisation isn't bringing you some sort of joy, you know, if you don't feel like you're growing, uh, if you don't feel like you're doing things that um, you want to be doing, I think you really have to then look at the leaders that you've got that are responsible for you, and sort of evaluate whether they're doing the most they can. Now, sometimes I would say in that, they may not even realize that they're not giving you the support that you need. So there, there is a an encouragement I would give to people to say, if you feel like your leaders are not giving you what you need, try at first to have a conversation with them. If you, if you can have that confidence to sort of say, I'd really like to try growing in this direction or, or I'm really interested in these other opportunities that I've seen in the organization, or I've got a skill area that I don't have, but I'd love the opportunity to try and build that. Is that something the organization can support me in doing? And I would say most good leaders will, will hear that, that approach. And, you know, if they've got it within their power, we'll try and then help support you to, to achieve and to do that move. So sometimes it can be as, as simple, if, if you like, as, as trying to create a good conversation. Um, and, and sometimes your leaders need the help uh, a little bit to be better than, than what they are. And, and feedback, I think, you know, for me personally, feedback's the only way you, do, you can do that um, and be able to get a, 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 some, some sense, if you like, of where you as a leader need to change as well. So it sounds like this could be an uncomfortable conversation. This could be a pretty difficult conversation for both parties involved in this. Um, and, and you talked about feedback there. How do we give good feedback? How do we request feedback in, in a way that doesn't sound like we're complaining or that we are entitled to, to something? Um, do, do you have any sort of advice for us there? Um, I think with feedback, first of all, it, it's about building a relationship of trust with somebody. Um, you can't just walk up to someone and start critiquing what they've done if you don't have a prior relationship. So, you know, perhaps that's the, you know, saying to your, your manager or your um, CEO or whoever it is, you know, have, have you got the time? Could we have a coffee? You know, can we have a conversation um, about something else so that we can establish 
some sort of relationship that is going to enable us to have a better conversation. Um, and I think that that goes with any sort of relationship, whether that's work or otherwise. You know, no one is going to receive feedback from someone else if there isn't trust within that relationship that's there. Um, so I think that's that's kind of really important. So it can be a bit of a process uh, in developing that relationship. But I would equally say that's a really good skill to develop in life in general. You know, building relationships that are based on trust and authenticity will always create a good space then for positive and reinforcing feedback. What I would say about the feedback is, you know, and you raised a really good point, you know, it can't be about you complaining. So it's not about saying to somebody, you know, you don't do this for me and and I, I really don't like the way you do X. Um, you know, a lot of there's a lot of psychology elements around this. And there's a lot of books you can go and read, but I'd say what is really healthy and a, and a good way to provide feedback is to talk more about the impact perhaps of someone's behavior or um, the impact of of what's happening in the organization on you. So talk about it more from the perspective of how it impacts you as in your work uh, or in your career progression, et cetera. So rather than trying to lay blame or, uh, or do that, you look at the sort of behavior and activities of the person and see, you know, what, how do I, how do I phrase this? So that actually it's much more about um, how I'm feeling about it or how what is occurring is impacting me. And you'll, you'll find that that approach will often um, be a lot better received from people than if you critique their behavior and their actions, in which case most people get defensive and feel like they're being criticized. So but by the time this is published, it'll be pretty close to International Women's Day. And I'm curious to hear, do, do you think you as a woman have faced different issues or, or um, any particular particular issues? Maybe that's a better way of saying it. When you think about your career, when you think about your the career path that you've been on, and th these kind of leadership challenges that we're talking about. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Where do I start on that one? Um, you know, I certainly, particularly in the early part of my career, I would land myself in you know, say I could think of a particular conference that I walked into where I'd you know put on a very nice, nice red dress for the day, very professional looking and walked into a room of 200 males all in black suits. And there was me with blonde hair in a red dress and heels looking like I stood out like a complete sore thumb. But it was a, a useful thing for me as a female. It was one of those, you know, unique light bulb moments for me. I think for many women, they would have walked into that situation and immediately gone, oh my God, you know, I feel out of place. Um, but I had a great conversation with someone while I was at that conference who went, oh my God, so easy to find you um, because you look different to everybody else. And it was a helpful thing for me to realize that sometimes being the odd one out actually is a highly valuable thing. Um, you become memorable, you become unique. Um, and so one of the things I'd say to women, because I think in technology, that's still very common to be that one or two women there. Don't try and be one of the guys. I've seen that time and time again, where because it's a male dominated culture, I've watched women try and dress more like men, try and behave more like, like the men that they're dealing with as well. And as a result, we'll, we'll not call out culture and behavior. Um, sometimes, you know, the way they talk about uh, jokes and so forth and say sometimes gender type jokes and you kind of don't call them out. So to a lot of women, I would say, you know, almost revel in the fact that you are unique in these situations. Don't be scared of owning and being being a female in those environments 
would be, I guess, one of the things that I've really noticed over my career. You know, I've certainly had many of those instances where I've I've come up against a uh, a gentleman who has looked at me as a woman and as a mother and gone, you know, essentially, what are you doing here? You know, I, I don't understand how a woman's in your role type of experience. I think probably one of the things that's perhaps shocked me a little bit more and I wasn't expecting was the occasional instance where you end up with other women, particularly women who've risen to to high senior leadership roles. And I won't, you know, it's not characteristic of all women in this role, but on occasion you do come across ones that are quite competitive uh, with other women more so than they are with men. Uh, and I think at times that's to the detriment of, of us achieving kind of better diversity and better equality in what we're doing out there. You know, to me as a female, I kind of look at other women and I'm like, how do I, how do I amplify, elevate, support and encourage, you know, I, in my headspace, I can't even imagine the idea of competing with, with another woman. I kind of want to bond with them more and, and say, how do we work together? So I think that element uh, of, of competition from some women, I found quite a surprising and startling thing in my career that's there. I suspect it's probably built off, you know, the fight that they've probably had to have to get to the roles that they're in, um, you know, and that sort of challenge that, that being a woman can be at times. I think we're getting past that. But yeah, it was a kind of interesting thing to look back on my career and realise those moments where that's happened. So this is almost an uncomfortable situation for me and an uncomfortable conversation to have because as a white male, I feel like when we talk about diversity, um, I, I feel like I'm, I'm constantly part of the problem and never allowed to be part of the solution. But but maybe maybe you can give me some advice here. What what would you say to someone like me? How, how can I be part of the solution when we think about diversity and inclusion in, in geospatial? I'm so glad you raised that. It's probably one of the things that, that drives me the most mad these days. Um, you know, I'm without doubt a feminist and, and I'm all for, for equal opportunity, but it's that word equal, I think, that at times we're beginning to sometimes not see. And for me, if we've got sections of our populations, and I specifically think that sort of white male part is is experiencing this, we've almost tipped the balance too, too far at times. And if you're feeling like you can't be in the conversation, and I know a lot of colleagues that, that fit that bill that, that feel the same, then we've we've missed something here because that's not what this should be about. What we need to do is get to a point where we have a much more inclusive dialogue. We're simply embracing of difference. Um, and we see that as a valuable thing to have. You know, we're embracing of the fact that people have different perspectives and and different ways of, of being, and we're not judging all the time. What I would say to a lot of men is, firstly, I'm so sorry <laughs> that you feel like that. It's really not something that I would ever want to see happen. What I think is really important for, for people that feel like that is to to look at, you know, even if it's just your interpersonal relationships and how you talk with other people or what actions you can take within your workplace, look at the simple things. Even if you don't feel like you can have a an entry point into the bigger conversation at this point, there are lots of small things, you know, being careful of the language that you use, learning a bit more when you're writing a job description and try to put that together about what diverse language is um, and inclusive language is. And I would say familiarize yourself with the tools that there are out there these days that, that are around diversity and equity and inclusion so that you can see those pitfalls that people fall into. You know, language-wise in particular, we've got a whole bunch of cultural references that we use that are still very gender stereotyping. And if you simply can just recognize when you use them, you know, like often we'll see, you know, little girls be described as bossy, whereas little boy, same little boy exhibiting same behaviors would be described as a leader. And I think just 
being able to recognize when those things occur um, and when you're using language that's just so simply been culturally there and going, oh, okay, I'm not going to phrase it like that. You know, I'm not going to deal with it like that. And I think to me, that's a really good first step because everybody should be doing that. You know, not just, not just white men. That's something everybody should be looking at doing and being inclusive. What I would also say is if you're particularly someone that's in a, a leadership role, you have that same responsibility I do in a leadership role. You know, what, what can I do that's going to help amplify not just women, but everybody? How do I cultivate diversity in the teams that I'm working with? How do I help create open and inclusive culture? Uh, in what we're doing and help to demonstrate that there's value in doing that. You know, talking about Bruce Thompson as a leader, you know, he was a white male, but my goodness, in the office that we were in, we had women, men, old people, younger people, people from different ethnic backgrounds. You know, our office was built off so many different cultures and he didn't make a point of it. He just lived it as a role model uh, in that diversity and inclusion. So I think there's, you know, I think it's sometimes really is challenging to get engaged at that big macro conversation level. I think there are small things um, and perhaps closer, more personal things that you can look at that help help us move in the right direction. Thank you very much for that. I really appreciate your insights on that topic. So we, we talk, you talked a lot about leaders there, that they have a, a clear responsibility here, but I think we all have a clear responsibility to, to make things better in, in general, to look at things that are broken instead of walking past them to pick them up and try and fix them. I think that's our responsibility. Would you have any specific advice to young professionals, young female professionals, especially in terms of their career, in terms of if they're looking to move into leadership roles, what should they be thinking about today now? I would say watch the leaders around you, uh, you know, and evaluate in your head what you like and what you don't like. You know, for you, how to, how to watch how leaders behave, watch how they, they talk, um, and really sit back and go, how does this make me feel? Does this, does this help me? Um, am I inspired by what they say? What would I emulate if I was going to be a leader in this space? Um, because I think that role modeling uh, element is really important and it helps you to kind of pick out bits and behaviors that you do and don't like um, about being a leader. So it will help inform you as to what sort of a leader you want to be. What I guess I would say to, you know, to, to young women, but I think to anybody really in the early stages of your profession is once you've kind of got a bit of a sense in your head of, of a leader that you like the look of, go have a chat with them and see if they can be a mentor. You know, see if they're willing to have a coffee with you. Ask them how they got to that role. What was it around them that helped build them into the leader that they are? And you'll probably find some incredible insights about sort of twists and turns and experiences that they've had over the course of time. Um, and I know these days, you know, a lot of leaders that I, really good leaders that I work with are often very, very open to having that half an hour cup of, you know, cup of coffee or, you know, chat over Zoom. Um, certainly I, you know, probably have about two conversations a week with, with young people from around the world who just ping me on LinkedIn or are introduced to me by somebody else. And they're like, you know, they just want some, an opportunity to talk to somebody who's, who's been through some of those steps, you know, but don't be afraid in your head to critique and certainly don't, I guess, hero worship people and, and not look for their flaws too. We're all human. So no leader is perfect. Um, and whatever sort of leader you will be, will be your style of leadership too. So I think, you know, don't be afraid to just be you. Uh, and to develop leadership your own way. So speaking of, of mentors, of role models, is there anyone out there today where you can point to and say, what, this is leadership. I think they are doing leadership in a fantastic way. This is worth copying. Wow, that's a hard one. Um, I, there's a lot of them doing a whole variety of different things um, that are out there. 
Look, I think for me, they're probably some of the leaders perhaps that you don't necessarily see at the top. They're not always CEOs for me. I think that there's a lot of really brilliant leaders that sit within organizations or perhaps in smaller organizations. I guess going to women in geospatial, I think that Julia Wagman has been an absolutely sensational leader for a movement and really kind of took an opportunity to take action, you know, used her network, used her passion to really help build an organization that was about helping others. And I, you know, really hold her up in quite high esteem as far as her leadership skills. You know, I think going probably further afield, another woman would be Barbara Ryan. And Barbara simply just because she's such an authentically passionate person uh, about the use of, of geospatial, but the use of it for the positive and right reasons uh, in the world and to help the environment, to, to help the world get to be a better place. But she's a really, you know, again, a bit of that sort of servant leadership style of human for me. She's She's been so much about building community uh, and has really looked at, you know, she never sort of talks about herself as being a senior person. She's, she always talks about herself as being part of a, a bigger and broader community. And so I think for me, really good leaders don't elevate themselves or really even talk about themselves as being leaders. They just sort of intrinsically behave like them, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. I, I really like the the example of, of Julia there with geospatial women. I think people that don't wait to be given the opportunity to 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 do leadership, for want of a better way of saying it, but take the opportunity to to be a leader. I think that's really impressive. That's something we should be celebrating. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree with you more. You know, I think the reality is to be a leader is to, is to take risks. You know, there will always be people that don't like your leadership style, uh, that perhaps don't share your passion, don't share your interest areas, and so you you know you do take a risk when you decide to put yourself out in that way or take those different roles. So I think that, you know, it's quite a courageous thing for a lot of people to step up into those spaces. Um, and, it, you know, but for me, I think you've got such an amazing opportunity to help help change the world by, by taking leadership in, in passion areas and mission areas that you've got. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to think about. It, it is a risk because it won't be for everyone. Re regardless of what you do, it won't be for everybody. And I think there's a real interesting balancing act here where we need to constantly learn along the way. So, oh, this didn't work. F fix it, you know, make it better, do something different next time. But always remembering that like, that this is not for everyone. This is for a very specific group of people. So I think it's super important for leaders to be thinking about, well, who am I trying to serve and what are they saying about it? Like, it's okay if, if I'm not trying to, if I'm, there's a person over here who doesn't agree with me and I'm not trying to serve them, you know, don't listen to them. Listen to these people here and to sort of keep, be very sort of laser focused on who it is you're trying to help. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think also, you know, you touched on a really interesting point that has been something that's slowly been emerging in my brain in the last sort of five years or so. And that's that, you know, leadership isn't for everybody. And actually, that's perfectly fine. Um, I think we have this kind of strange culture around our career plans and career progression sort of concepts um, that are always pushing this, this idea that success is by reaching the top uh, of an organization. Um, and I think that that's something that we really need to challenge as a concept, because I don't think everybody needs to be a leader. You imagine if the whole world was all trying to lead, you know, we'd never get anywhere, be a complete mess. And I think that, that, you know, when we look at our careers and, uh, you know, some advice I guess I'd give to young people is don't get caught up in that hype that the only way you're going to be successful is if one day you're the CEO. If you really want to be at that level and you, that's something that you know is going to bring you fulfillment, 
by all means, chase that dream. But if that idea actually scares the daylights out of you and what you instead love is to be the the, the really good technical person that's um, deeply, uh, you know, in depth into the, your particular domain area and creates brilliant maps and brilliant solutions, if that brings you passion, you know, incites your passion um, and brings you joy, pursue that and see that as your success metric instead of going after those roles. Um, so I think we put we put a bit too much stock at times in the titles uh, that we associate with the idea of leadership. And I think sometimes that's to some people's detriment. And I think they end up giving up things that they're really passionate about and perhaps really skilled at because there's this sort of strange expectation we have that success is about being at the top. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I completely agree with that. I, I think, though, when I, when I think about leadership, I'm less likely to think about leadership in terms of that traditional understanding in an organisation where someone gives you a, a title and says, you know, please do this job here, you are now a leader. I think of leadership that happens at every level of the organisation where people are trying new things, where they're come voicing their opinions, where they're having ideas, where they're seeing opportunities to, to fix things and make things better for, for me that's all leadership because it requires that you you see something you have an idea and you act upon it and for, for me that that's a style of leadership and I, I really want I really hope that people understand that that is an option I guess so I'm not pushing leadership as such as saying this is the only metric for success but I am I'm a strong advocate for people doing leadership uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that description, Daniel. I think that for me, that's also what I see as leadership too. Um, I'm not sure that that, that, you know, perception of leadership is necessarily shared by, other, you know, a huge number of others. Um, so I think that there is some, some work we need to do as a society to sort of embrace that idea of leadership more. And I think if we, if we can do that, hopefully that does encourage more people to, to raise their voices and to, to offer themselves in leadership um, and to, to take those actions. Well, we'll just have to continue making podcasts like this and, and maybe the message will sink in. <laughs> I, like the, I like your thinking. <laughs> hey, hey Denise thank you very much for, for being here with me today uh, always enjoy talking with you um, there'll be people listening to this and they're going wow that woman is incredible how can I reach out to her how can I how can I connect with her if that's the case and I know it is the case how can they do that where can they go uh, you'll be able to find do a google search on Denise McKenzie at Geospatial you shouldn't have too much trouble in locating me um, from that perspective but uh, always find me I'm sp at Spatial Red uh, or one word on, on Twitter so you can find me there so or LinkedIn Denise McKenzie is a really easy way to get hold of me uh, or in my new role now at Place uh, you can find us on our website of thisisplace.org uh, and you'll find my my staff page there and the way to get in touch with me from that too so lots of different avenues once again denise th thanks so much really appreciate your time brilliant thanks daniel i really appreciate it so i really hope you enjoyed that episode with denise mckenzie as always there'll be links in the show notes to how you can reach out to her places you can connect with her and, and i really hope you take the time to do that so you've just spent 40 minutes listening to denise and i hope we can agree that she is remarkable She's had a remarkable career and she is a remarkable person. I hope we can agree on that. But what I really want you to see is that you can be remarkable too. And I think the only thing that's stopping you from being remarkable is realizing it. That's it for me. That's it for another episode of this podcast. I really hope you'll take the time to join me again next week. As always, you can reach out to me on social media. You can find me at Mapscaping on Twitter. You can check out our website, mapscaping.com. There's contact information there or connect with me on LinkedIn. Okay, that's it for me. I'll see you again next week. Bye.